In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Okay, so we said that <clears throat> after taking a little bit of a sidetrack break and discussing materialism and the last time we met we tried to close the loop on that entire topic and we linked it back to the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so inshallah the, you can go back and, and listen for those who uh, missed it um, but we basically established that everything and anything that happens in the world ultimately is caused by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he is the ultimate cause, the final cause of anything. And if we see that there's anything else in the universe that seems to have the ability to do, to perform a function, to play a role in the world, let's say that fire burns. Okay? The ability of fire to burn does not come from itself as fire. Because fire could have been like water. But for some reason, fire has this specific property and water has that specific property. Where do these properties come from? So they were given from the outside to them. Otherwise, the thing in itself does not have those properties, right? So we explained all of that and we said at the end of the day, when we look at anything, there is nothing that plays a role by itself. Nothing can do anything by itself except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And He gives that power and that ability to other, the other entities of the universe, each depending on the role they're supposed to play. It's not willy-nilly, okay? It's not random. <clears throat> and the two points that we finished with is if we understand this Tawheed of Ali properly okay, so there's different types of Tawheed one of them is the Tawheed of Ali which is in the act the ultimate act is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who's acting right? nothing else has the ability to act in this universe act as in do something play a role, have a function have properties that have any impact on anything else so ultimately Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only one who is capable of acting. And anything else that acts, they've been given that ability, that power from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to act. So it's kind of secondary. It's not part of their true, true nature. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made their nature capable of having certain roles and not having other roles. Right? Okay. So if we understand that, then we solve two issues. So the first issue that we talked about is we understand this topic that sometimes is presented as though it's like this very complex, nuanced, difficult topic called the wilayat taqwiniya. So we say that there are certain individuals, saints, prophets, imams, who have an ability to what looks like breaking the natural order of things. They can manipulate the universe in certain ways. Okay, so if we say, let's say, Isa salam is capable of raising someone back from the dead. So who's doing that? Well, the Quran says Isa salam himself is doing that through, with the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But he's really doing that. So one way to understand this is to say, uh, Isa salam has nothing to do with this. The act is just going through him, but nothing is actually happening at his level. Salam alaykum wa rahmatullah. 
nothing is actually going through him. He has no role to play. It just goes through him, but he has no role to play. It, it could as equally go through anyone else and it would make no difference. Okay? This is not the version that we believe in. We say that he actually has that capacity. So there's no issue in believing in that so long as you don't think that that capacity is autonomous. It comes from himself. That capacity has been given to him from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So that's one topic we discussed. And the second one has to do with tawassul. And there were a few questions about tawassul over the weeks. So we resolved that issue last week by saying, if someone tells you someone is really, really thirsty, what should they do to lift that thirst, to get rid of that thirst? So someone who says only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the, is the only one who has any power over anything in the world, if they really believe that, and they believe that nothing else has given any, have been given any power, then they should also believe that the only way to lift that thirst is to pray to Allah to lift that thirst. And yet what we see in the world is, no, everybody goes to drink water to lift that thirst. So what does that tell us, without spending too much time and repeating the entire lesson, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given properties, put properties in certain things, and instructed human beings intuitively or through different means, different teachings, to do certain things through what we consider to be the natural order of things to reach certain ends. He, he put means in place. He created tools. He gave you paths. You follow that path, you end up there. You follow this path, you end up here. Okay? So he gave that property to water to lift your thirst. And he told you if you're thirsty, you can do that. And you could also go back through the other means and pray to me directly. That's, that's also possible to you. But this is the means that I gave you, the natural one. If we understand this, then you go back to this complex, uh, difficult, problematic issue of tawassul. So the, the claim here is that when we do tawassul, it's, it's as though we're worshipping some other entity and we're not worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if you understand this, it's wh- how are you defining worship? Is it just alaykum as salam wa rahmatullah? Are you simply defining it as you're using, you're using anything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you as a means? If you're using a means and the result is therefore you're worshipping that entity or not relying on God, therefore you do not have real tawheed, we have an issue. But then how do you resolve what you did with water? Or how do you use a doctor or a pill, let's say, when you're sick and you want the, the, the pain to go away? Do you believe in the capacity of those things to have any effect on you or not? So if you did, then it's in the same sense that you're using those other means except that those are more religious means. Let's say by using someone that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told you to use because that person is the means to his forgiveness. So you use them. It's no different. So anyone who says if you do that, then you are committing, falling under polytheism, you're now worshipping someone else, or you're asking, seeking someone's support besides Allah, that's the answer to that. So we understand now the Tawheed of Ali, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only true agent of, in this world, the only one who does, who can do, but he has given that capacity to do to other entities, each according to the role they're supposed to play, and he's told us what to use where, including intercession. Okay? So that was the recap very quickly of what we discussed until now. We said that lesson is important, that lecture is important, to transition into the next one which is what we're starting today, which is the beginning of divine justice.
we, and we've had we had a lot of questions about divine justice. So inshallah, now we're going to start addressing it into three parts. So this is part one of divine justice. So we're going to build on it. We need to put the ingredients in place. Ingredient one, which is what we're trying to establish today, is free will. Do human beings actually have free will, or are we? Is there determinism? Are we stuck? Is there something being imposed on us from the outside, or are we choosing the path we're choosing in life? The link with what we've said now is if you go back in the history of Islam, you see that this became a very contentious and problematic issue right from the beginning. So there are people who said, if you really believe in the oneness of Allah, and in the oneness of Allah like we explained, which is Tawheed of Ali, that only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala acts in this world, then you cannot also believe that you're really doing anything in the world. Anything that you're doing is actually Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doing it. You're basically like a, a puppet. Because if you start saying that you're doing, you're choosing, and you're deciding, then you're removing that power from Allah, as though you have real power. So we believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so much, we believe in, in His oneness and in His power, in His absolute power so much, that we cannot see, we cannot fathom, any, imagining any other entity having the ability to do anything except Allah. And that's the real meaning of Tawheed of Ali. That was their claim. That was, let's say, half of the Sunni world fell in that world. Okay? And I'm going to talk about that in a second. So basically what they're saying is, you may think that you have the freedom of choosing, you may think that you own your act, your action, but the reality is there are strings being pulled from behind, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because He's the only one acting. In opposition to that, in reaction to that, another group came and said, no, this is going to nullify, this is going to cancel out, alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah, this is going to cancel out freedom of will. So what's the problem with that? Well, if human beings are not capable of owning their actions, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot punish them or reward them for what they're doing. So their solution to this problem is, therefore, human beings own entirely their act, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot intervene in anything that a human being does. Okay? So these became the two big schools. And then, of course, none of these two were going back to Ahlul Bayt for this. And then there's us following Ahlul Bayt trying to find the balance between these two. So what's the issue when we say we fall under determinism? What's the issue with that? And we're going quickly here just so that we finish on time. The biggest issue with that is your merit as a human being, if we look at a, the way a human being acts and behaves. Let's look at, let's go from the simplest to slightly more complex. If you're acting as a human being, a lot of your behavior, a lot of your actions are what? A lot of it starts with your biology. These are animal behaviors. They're no different than an animal and those. The instinct and the drive behind them. So you get hungry, you want to eat, you want to rest, you want to drink, all of that. So these are drivers inside you. Okay, They push you to desire and not to desire. To move because you want or you fear and you want to get away from something that harms you or it's not good for you. So that's one way of acting. Okay, is there more? Well, actually there is more. If you look, at, let's say, at a student who's trying to get a good mark and they have these desires and they feel like resting and they feel like being entertained but at the same time they know that they have to stay up 
and not go do those things that they like because there's something that they value more. They've put more value in that thing. So they will decide, instead of eating and drinking or sleeping or resting or entertaining themselves, they're going to spend the night staying up and studying because they have an exam in the morning. Okay. And you can go even higher. So it's not that they don't have those desires. Those desires are there. The faculty within you, pulling you in one direction is there. But you also have other ones pulling you in another direction and somewhere in there you're going to decide to do one thing or another. And that's why some of you are going to have an A and the others are going to have a B. Or C or D or something else. Okay. If we go higher than that, some people may decide to become cops or firemen or soldiers and put their lives in harm's way, in danger, on a constant basis. And a normal human being is not going to go there and yet those people, that becomes their daily job. They're willing to sacrifice themselves. Okay. Are the faculties and the desires the same as everybody else? Of course they are. But these, we start seeing that as a human being, you decide where to put, how to create the hierarchy, where you put more value, where you put more merit, and where you put your energy, and how to live your life. Okay. So if you look at these, these are very quickly, just quick examples. So we looked at, let's say, a fireman, or we looked at a student, and we looked at someone who's working out. Okay, You could rest at home and eat and sleep, and, or you go to the gym and work out and get exhausted and be sore for days, and then go back again. Right? So when we look at those, the examples that we gave, would you say that those actions, those behaviors from these people, do they have any merit when you hear someone has now stayed up all night studying, do you think that's a good thing or not? Do you think that person is worthy of a praise or not? Because you say that person is good for you, you were disciplined, you did something and you accomplished something. Same thing with the person working out. Same thing with the person who's becoming a fireman. Or In general, as a society, human beings recognize the merit of this. Okay, so what are we recognizing? The act itself is based on what? This is based on every human being within themselves. They have contradictory desires, contradictory faculties, each one pulling you in a different way. And at the end of the day, what are you doing? You're choosing. This is not something that should require a lengthy discussion. So this is what we're doing right now. We're analyzing to create the theory behind it. But the reality is, and we're going through life like this every single moment, and sometimes the choices are huge and sometimes they're small. But this is constantly ongoing. You're being pulled by different drivers and faculties of yourself that are pulling you in different directions, and at any time, what you're doing is choosing. So what does that tell us? That tells us that you actually directly recognize your freedom of choice. It's not removed. You feel the different forces pulling and pushing on you. You don't need anyone coming from the outside and telling you there is a part of you that wants you to sleep or eat and there is another part of you that wants you to study and succeed. You feel that directly. And the fact that someone tells you that, that creates a, a secondary mental image of that. But that's not the, what you're feeling directly. You don't even need that theoretical understanding. Right? You have access to it yourself. Just like when, you have a, when you're feeling an emotion, whatever it is, you're feeling anger, you're feeling happiness, 
you feel it directly. There's nothing between you and that feeling, right? It's direct. It's present to you in itself. So this brings us to the big question. When someone says, is there freedom of choice or not? The easiest, quickest, most direct answer is, yes, there is. And the proof? The proof is that we feel it directly. We are aware of it directly. We don't need a theoretical intermediary. We don't need anything additional to point us to it. Okay? Then how come human beings, when they're confronted with these different things, we don't all behave in the, certain, in the same way? Well, it depends. You're making a choice based on where you put value. So someone may put value more on their physical appearance. And someone may put more value in getting money. And someone may put more value in getting good marks. And someone may put more value in eating good food, whatever it is, or resting. You're putting the value there, and you're choosing. Okay? So this kind of gives us a, the preliminary discussion. The second point in all of this, why is this important? The biggest dimension that we, and we talked about it a few times, where we want to get to is, because we want to build on that for, for our discussion on divine justice, the point in all of this, and we discussed it, so now we're going to have to make the link with materialism. We said that for human beings to act in a certain way and have merit, the merit is coming from where? It's coming from their choice. Why? Because if I don't have the choice, if I don't have freedom of will, the choice, the freedom to choose what I want, then I'm not responsible. I'm forced if I'm forced, there cannot be a reward and there cannot be punishment. And that nullifies the entire purpose of religion. What's the link with everything we've said until now? The link is, and we talked a little bit about this already, but now we're explicitly mentioning the link, is if you follow a materialist point of view, a materialist world, worldview, then you necessarily believe in determinism. If you only believe that there is matter and energy and atoms and interactions between them, then there are very clear, well-established, natural laws that make everything in the material world behave in a certain way. And there's no other way for it to behave. Gravity is gravity. No matter where you go, it works the same way. There are laws of nature in place for that force to work that way. Everything in nature is working according to those laws. If you believe that's all there is, then you also believe in determinism. An atom does not decide where to go. It has to go there based on the natural laws around it. It behaves in that way. So if all you are is made up of atoms, those atoms are going to be in a relationship with each other all the time based on those laws, not based on your freedom of will. So what's the best answer they have for this right now? The biggest materialist thinkers. Their best answer is that freedom of will, the freedom of choice, is an illusion. You think that you have a freedom of choice. You're sitting here and you think that you're deciding if you're going to get up or not and you say, well, I actually feel it directly. I know right now I can choose whether I stand up or stay seated. And they tell you, yeah, that's an, that's an illusion. You're not really choosing. 
Okay, so we're going to get to that in a second. That's the best answer they currently have. It's an illusion. And there's entire books written on it by the biggest. I mentioned the four horsemen of atheism. One of them is Daniel Dennett. And he spends a lot of time on this. We talked about it, uh, evolutionary psychology, and he spends a lot of time on this. Okay, so... A second point here, very quickly, so that we can wrap it up. A second point is that the notion that we do not have a freedom to choose in our lives was also heavily used in the history of Islam and in other faiths, but in Islam, because that's what's interesting to us, specifically for political reasons. So we've had tyrants, we've had oppressors, we've had people who come in and they wanted to maintain the power and force the people to do as they, as they please for their own personal gain. So what did they do? They injected this idea, this belief in society among the Muslims that no one really chooses anything that's going on. It's all Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who decides. Everything is determined by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if that's the case, then don't try to fight this ruler or that ruler. Don't try to, when you see something that looks like an injustice, don't try to create an uprising and to revolt against it. In fact, if you do that, you're going against the will of Allah. It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who created those conditions and who chose that person to become khalifa over you. And that's how they created this entire idea that whoever is the khalifa, that's it. You have to live with that no matter what they do. And of course, there's different schools of thought on that. But that's the dimension, and we talked about it every single time, of always being careful of how religion is always distorted for political reasons. And it could happen till today, right? Okay, so this part, this point is very quickly. The big objections that we have, so this is the link to, to the, the, the discussions that we've had. The big objections to this is there are people who say everything that happens in the world everything that a human being does is only the result of chemical interactions, let's say, happening in their brain. There's nothing else that happens. So, the easy answer to that, so that we don't spend too much time on this, I could go in and explain what they say about dopamine and serotonin and other hormones and what they do to you as a human being once they're in your mind and your brain and what they force you to go in which way and feel hunger or not, feel thirst or not, feel tired or not, and based on all of that, you become who you are. Okay, so it's all chemical interactions of things happening in your brain. That's one big theory. And the quick answer to that, as we've said again and again, is you have a direct awareness of your freedom of choice. That may be what's happening behind the scenes, but it does not take away anything from the fact, no one can come from the outside and tell you, that's not what you're really feeling. No, that is what I'm feeling, and that means this is what I have access to. This is the direct awareness of who I am. No different than saying, I know that I exist, or I know that I think, or I know that I'm angry. Because you have a direct awareness of these feelings, or these states. Okay. The second objection that we have is there are people who say, everything you do is based on a combination, because there are people who say it's only one or the other, or a combination of your genetics, and your environment. So one is depending on how you're wired genetically, and the other is what society has taught you. No matter what you do and what you think and how you behave, it's either coming from your 
genetic wiring, how you were wired genetically, your genes, and that's the whole movement right now, increasingly with the Genome Project and other things, and how society has basically raised you. So it could be as small as your family, or your tribe, or your culture, or your community, or your society, or the history of humankind until now. Okay, so the quick answer to that is, in addition to what we just said, which is still, you still feel directly, you have an awareness directly of your own freedom of choice, we want to add here that we do not disagree that these are huge components that make up every human being. And in fact, our religion recognizes both of these. It recognizes the importance of your genetics, and that's the importance of choosing the right spouse, making sure that they're going to be the right combination with you for your children. That opens the door to the entire genetic discussion, right? And on the other side, society and the importance of upbringing and education in Islam. So it's not like we don't agree that these are major factors, ingredients that make up who you are and how you choose. But at the end of the day, that's all they are. They're not, they call them in, in, in philosophy or in logic, they say the cause is sometimes you have something that is a cause, that causes something. Sometimes it's sufficient and sometimes it's necessary. Necessary means it has to be there, but it may not be sufficient. So it needs to be there. If it's not there, nothing works. But if it's there, that's not the entire story. There's more to it. There are other ingredients and factors that have to come in. We agree that they are necessary conditions to being a human being and to choosing. It's necessary to have a certain genetic code. And it's necessary to have a certain social upbringing. That's the nurture and nature. Both are there. We agree with both of them. They are there. But they're not the entire story. They're not sufficient. There's more. And the more is explained with the freedom of choice. Despite or in spite of your genetic and your genetic makeup, and despite, or in spite of your social conditioning, you still get to choose. And there are people who completely succumb to that, and they just follow, because it's easier. And there are people who elevate themselves beyond that, beyond their genetic predisposition, and beyond their upbringing. And the last thing is, and here this is, a, this is an important point before we mention it, we mentioned the third objection, the, the last thing here is, if we look at every human being, of course everybody's going to be different here. So of course my genetic makeup and yours are not the same. And of course my upbringing and yours are not the same. In fact, every single human being is going to be different when we look at that. So someone can come back and say, so it's not fair. And we're going to get to that, okay? These conditions and how they're fair or not fair. But we will recognize right now that they're not all identical. They're different. So what does that mean? And how does our religion treat that? What does it do with that? The short answer here, and we're going to have to keep coming back to it over the next three, at least three lectures. The short answer to that is our religion, religion recognizes the individuality, recognizes the difference, recognizes that my, where I'm coming from and where you're coming from are not the same. Maybe for me to reach this thing that the religion is asking me, I need 10 steps. And you, maybe you need 100 steps. That's why our religion emphasizes on, concentrates on, highlights on what? The part that you control, not the part that you don't. And your reward is based on your effort and your intention, not based on the end result. So you may do 
82 steps and I may do two and I may reach and you may not and you may get a lot more reward than me because you put in a lot more effort or your intentions were a lot more sincere. So this is where you start seeing the, the difference in the individuality of every person. It's completely different. The way we each have to go is going to be completely different. We're all expected to end up somewhere, but we're not being assessed on the end result. What we're being assessed on is the effort that we put in, the sincerity with which we put in that effort. So don't look at anyone else and say, well, their path is different, so of course it's easier for them. And this is going to apply all the way from the prophets and the imams to the most commoner of people. That applies to everybody. Our conditions are completely different. Our genetic code is different. Our uh, social upbringing and conditioning completely different. There are things that come to us very easy that 50 years were incredibly difficult for people. Of course we're putting in a lot less effort to get water to perform our wudu than they were when they had to walk outside in the cold every morning and get water. Of course there is an equal reward that goes with that effort and the sincerity of your effort. But there are things that also comes with a responsibility. If it's easier for you, it comes with a responsibility. So this path is always going to be different. No two people are going to follow the same path. But that all, all of it requires one condition at the bottom of all of this, and that's why we're spending time on this, which is recognizing that we, had a, we have a freedom of choice here. Regardless of all the material means and regardless of all the physical interactions and recognizing that there's a predisposition genetically uh, wired in all of us and that society has an influence on our upbringing and how we think, regardless of all of that, we have to agree that there is a freedom of choosing that each and every one of us has. And the merit that we have, the reward, the value, the worth of each one of us is the choices we're making. That's it. The last point, and inshallah we'll wrap up with that. The last point that has to do with the freedom of choice, and we're not going to spend too much time on it. This is a point we're going to come back to. The last point is, or the last objection is, we said when we spoke about divine knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows everything. So if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows what I'm going to do, how can I say that I'm not predetermined to do it? Is the objection clear or does it require more explaining? Okay, the objection is very clear. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has knowledge of what I'm going to do, does that not mean that I have to do it in that way? And the short answer for now, and we're going to come back to this and drill more, but we needed to put this first piece in. We have to establish freedom of choice first. The short answer for now is the divine knowledge or knowledge in general, whether it's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or anyone else, because that's the explanation that we can give, and inshallah we will. The knowledge itself that someone is going to do or not do something does not force that agent to do it or not do it. So if somehow Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala suddenly gave me one of these parapsychological powers that we spoke about over the next last couple of weeks. He gave me the ability to see in the future. So I can see one of you walking outside and going to their car and going home. So I, I know this is going to happen. And let's say that I really know and you really do it that way. Does that make my knowledge make you do that action? Or is the knowledge only revealing to me what you're going to do? 
But at the end, if I asked you, why did you do it? You wouldn't say it's because you thought it. Right? You would say because I wanted to do it. This is per- perhaps, and we're going to come back to that, theologically, this is the objection that always comes back. People want to say, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has knowledge of the future, this means that it was predetermined. No, the knowledge all only means that this is, you know, so to speak, as an example, an analogy, it's although it's revealed to him. That's what we mean by the knowledge. Having knowledge of is not causing. The cause is one thing. Causing something to happen does not come from knowledge. It's not the knowledge of something that causes it to happen. Clear? That part is clear? Inshallah, we're going to come back to it. And there's other answers that we can give quickly now if you want to. One of them is simply to say, and that's an easy answer, I think you've heard it enough, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not sit inside time. If time is created, and things that we live, our lives, the events of the universe are all happening in time, and you have access to all of time equally. There is no before and after to you. Within time, there is a before and after. Outside of time, it's all the same. So of course this does not apply to Allah, so that you can't say His knowledge is causing the thing to happen. Okay? That's a, another short answer, and we'll come back to it, inshallah. And the third answer to this is the, the same argument about the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can be used to say, to prove that there is a freedom of choice. And that's by saying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also knows what you're going to choose. So this way you put in a different spin or a different twist on the same objection by saying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you all these choices. But we also believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows from all these choices which one you're going to choose. Which means there is a choice. You're making it. The difference is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has knowledge of that. It's revealed to him. And not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is causing you to choose that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you the means to choose all of that. But at the end, you're the one choosing. And all of this comes back to the main argument we made, which is you have direct awareness of your freedom, freedom of choice. You, have, you don't need any intermediary, anything theoretical to come convince you that you're choosing. In fact, I think the opposite is the biggest challenge is showing someone that their direct awareness of their freedom of choice is actually an illusion. I think that one is a challenge which the materialists are now facing by trying to convince everybody that they do not really have a freedom of choice. And this opens the door to the ethical or moral discussion that we talked about already. So if we go down the same path as the materialists are now saying, so what do we do about rights and responsibilities? if no one is responsible and it's all predetermined? And what do we do with people committing crimes? If you kill or rape or steal, is that all predetermined? Or are you choosing? If it's predetermined, then you're not responsible. Maybe you need help, but can help really help you? If it's predetermined, what are we trying to do? Nothing is going to change. You're wired in a certain way. We should just all accept the way you're wired. So these are the moral or ethical dilemmas that we create and they are now facing them. If we open that door and say we're all going to go towards predeterminism as opposed to having freedom of choice. And we said this is a crucial point for us.
because our entire faith is based on the idea that we're voluntarily choosing as opposed to just going along because it's predetermined whether it's genetically or socially or for any other reason. We're good? Okay. Wassalallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala Ali Tayyibin al Tahiri. Questions, concerns, issues? Yes. You need to elaborate. I know what you said, but I'm trying to see what's implied. So keep repeat it in different ways. Like, like you're still getting to choose, right? Yeah. But the situation in which I guess you are put in makes you choose a certain way mm-hmm. over the other. Yes. So when you say it makes you choose, are you so saying that you're that. still choosing, but you're maybe nudged more in one way than yeah, another? Of course. So we agree with that, and that's part of what we said. So there are things, and we didn't spend too much time on it, because there's not enough time. This is the entire philosophy of us followers of Ahlul Bayt, that we en- emphasize on this more, that there's a balance between what you choose versus what's outside of your control. So there's a, of course, so that's why we object to that other school of thought that says you choose everything and you're responsible for everything. No, you're responsible for the things over which you have control. And the less control you have, the less responsible you're for them. And therefore, there is less reward and punishment. And the more control you have, the more responsibility and the, the more reward and punishment. So do you control who your parents were? or at which century you were born, or which country, or what kind of body you were given, or, 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 no. Well, of course, each one of these has a huge impact on the decisions you're making in life. But you're still making those decisions. And you're responsible for that part. And someone else is, what you're doing, what you're trying to accomplish, that's why I said each of our paths is different. Maybe for you to, to pray, you need to make these five steps. It's, it's a, a, an effort of five from you and someone else it's a hundred because they're coming from a much further way and to you you just grew up in a household where prayer is just customary so of course your reward goes with that effort and for the things if to you it requires a you know a hundred a <laughs> hundred levels of effort of course the reward is going to be commensurate with that and the other way so if for you it's a lot easier you should be good and you still end up being bad the punishment is a lot worse for you and this is very clearly established, like in the Holy Quran and the Ruayat. And it's, basically, it's not that there is one standard or two or ten. Basically, every human being has their own standard that is customized to them. And only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows all of their circumstances and conditions and reality to be able to properly assess. In your case, how much effort did you really put in based on the circumstances that were given to you? Really, how much is it? And how sincere were your efforts? Because you may still be able to trick everybody else and reach that conclusion or reach that end. Right? So, good question. What were you talking about before free will? Yeah. I forgot. I had a question No, no, no. Not today. Not like in general. I'm talking today right now. You didn't go over oneness of God. 
That was last week. Yeah, that was last week. But today, before free will, you said talk about oneness of God. But we kind of recapped very quickly in two two minutes. We said that Allah because we're trying to make the link. Why are we talking about free will now? It's is it out of the blue? Is it a completely new topic? In a way, it is, but it's completely related to what we discussed until now, right? So where we ended last time is one way to link it is historically to say the reason why this became a huge issue in Islam whether people have free will or not is that it started with the question of when you see anything happening in the universe in the world who's really doing the action is it Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or is it the human being so that was the main topic Okay, we call that Tawheed of Hali. Basically, just to, just to correct me if I'm wrong, kind of thing. Uh, so basically, we go and we drink water. When we drink water, we ask that God off, like, like makes water available for us. And we know that God has the, gave water the power to crunch our thirst. But we need to go through water. Mm-hmm. And if God so wishes, he would. But that's, what, that's the material world we live in. We have to accept. Mm-hmm. Yes. So this is a very simple example. Take it to the most complex of situations in a human life and it, it works the same way. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you material means because you live in a material world mm-hmm. to get to things. There's a path. There's a way to conduct yourself through those means. Does that make you a non-believer? Or does that make you a believer in other entities beside God who have power? Or does that make you someone who seeks the support of Allah of something else besides Allah and therefore you're not really a good believer? No. So long as you don't think that any of those entities has a power of, of its own. That you believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala one, gave those entities that power. None of them have an autonomous ability to do that of their own. And two, you don't believe that you're doing this willy-nilly just because you feel like it. You're doing this because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told you to do it. So especially, this is the way we just live our, our lives. This is the daily life. But especially when it comes to matters of religion. One person is going to say, you know, I'm going to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like I feel like worshipping. He's re- trying to reach an end. You were trying to reach an end. You were trying to quench your thirst. So you drank water. That was your means. Now, the end I'm trying to reach is to get closer to Allah. One person is going to say, I'm going to meditate. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go sit outside and look at the stars and think about God and that's all I need. Okay, maybe. Maybe that would work. If you don't have a proof that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually told you what path to follow. So it's not willy-nilly. And maybe that does work, but maybe it takes a million years for you through evolution and trial and error and learning to get there. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just gave you the path. So once you reach a conclusion that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, especially in matters of belief, has told you how to live, just like we believe it is. So he's told you how to live your life on a daily basis for drinking and eating and working and going through life. That's clear. So now let's come to religion where we expect even more guidance. Did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tell us how to worship or not? Did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tell us how to conduct ourselves or not? That's the means to. Don't tell me I'm going to be good without doing that. So That's the issue. Means, that becomes the issue. That's why we're saying we have to agree first. That was the point there. We have to agree first that there is a path that has been given to us. The path allows you to reach a, an end. Very clear end. Don't create it by yourself. 
You can't say, you know, I'm gonna, I don't know. I want the thirst to be removed, but yeah, it's no different. If you're trying to reach that end, then you have to go through the means that was created for it. Entities, there are entities that have been given a certain power. So this is, allows you to understand, oh, maybe prayer is one of those entities and it has been given a certain power. And every part of the prayer has been given that kind of power. So nothing is becoming random or an empty ritual. There's a path. You follow that path, you get... Yeah. Good question. So is it clear what we're saying? And... Good? Let's pray. Okay. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad.